Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Thank you for joining us. Then you must be a Christian because surely you would be a Christian if you admire Jesus and you admire Christianity. That probably means you're a Christian and I am not so sure. There was a time in recent history when Australia was considered a Christian nation. What is a Christian? Are you a Christian if you believe there is a God or maybe if you know there is and you think he's a reputable character? There's more to being a Christian than just going to church, believing in God or even admiring God for his good character. Today, Dr. Corbett continues in his series on knowing Jesus. When it comes to religion, it's not what you know, but who. To challenge your thinking, let's join Dr. Corbett now for more in the series on knowing Jesus. Good morning again and welcome. It's, it's interesting again hearing uh, someone share about their first time in church and how daunting that can be. And if this is your first time, not just in our church, but church, welcome. We hope that you're made to feel at ease. I would really like to think <coughs> of your experience with us not as a visitor, but as our guest. And we want you to feel like this is a family that is open to making you a part of it. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, I pray supernaturally, spiritually, you would speak in a weird way into people's minds, into their stomach, where they feel something that's your presence being impressed upon them. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned in showing this uh, graphic behind me, it's a, a reminder of the time when uh, Kim and I went over the Ironbound Ranges. And, and it's one of those deceptive things where you walk up what you've discussed, well, what you thought, what I thought was the Ironbound, Mountain Ironbound or whatever it's called. And turned out to be nothing of the kind. It turned out to be a hill preceding the Ironbound range. And this is just a great example for me of how it is when someone comes to know God. You realise there's something there, you begin to walk and you think you're there, and then you realise there's so much more to go. And this for me is just a great example of how it is in our relationship with God. This is a part of this series where we sort of pose this question when it comes to religion, it's not what you know, it's... And this is what we're going to answer. And I want to do this in a way that draws, actually unintentionally, unplanned, draws on several of the songs that we sang this morning. And so this message I've entitled, For Heaven's Sake or For God's Sake? And I, I hope that by the time we're done, you'll see why it's called that. One of the songs that we just sang, we declared that God is our inheritance. You are our inheritance, we sang. So reverent were the Jewish people of the day of Christ and the disciples, they didn't want to use or invoke the name God, which in Hebrew is Yahweh or Adonai. They wouldn't say it, especially Yahweh. They would, they would say that's the unpronounceable name and they would invoke the term translated into English, heaven. 
And that tells us something about their understanding of what heaven was actually like. In one sense, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about heaven, in one sense. It does have something to say about it. And for many people, Christianity is your heaven's insurance. You pay the insurance policy and it means when you die, you'll go to heaven. I want to challenge that idea. And I want to challenge it because there's something very, very dangerous happening right now in culture. It used to be, around election time, that some of the most ungodly politicians would profess that they were actually a Christian. It used to be like that. It used to be that, that people would, uh, who had never been you know, regularly to church at all would, on a Sunday morning, would, seeing, would be seen by the media on 6 o'clock news going to a church that Sunday morning for whatever reason. It used to be that. I'm not sure that that's still the case, although I did see our Prime Minister attend a church service recently, which I thought was remarkable. I saw Jordan Peterson at the uh, uh, Alliance for Responsible Citizenship Conference, ARC, where he was talking about the incredible value the teachings of Jesus Christ are to society and how valuable it is that Christians play their part in society, making society a much better world. You may have seen that. It led Greg Sheridan, the, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald journalist, to write an article saying, congratulations, Jordan Peterson, the very famous psycholo- Canadian psychologist, is now a Christian. And Michael, you sent me that article, and I read that article, and I thought, well, I don't know. Greg Sheridan thought there was enough evidence that because Jordan Peterson was now an admirer of Jesus Christ and an admirer of what Christianity had done in the world, that he must be a Christian, because surely you would be a Christian if you admire Jesus and you admire Christianity. That probably means you're a Christian, and I am not so sure. I'm not so sure, but, I'm, but he's one of many who are doing this. You hear of actors and actresses, and, and, and I, I can't verify it, but Jim Carrey has recently come out and talked about his recent conversion to Christianity. He's talking about how Jesus Christ has transformed his life, and, and I'm thrilled if that's, that's true. I can't verify it because it's on YouTube. And, <clears throat> and you don't believe everything on YouTube. We know that, right? There's others, high-profile people, who have professed that they are a deeper respecter and admirer of Jesus Christ and they come from a Christian background and Christianity is really cool, of which we were watching uh, Australian Idol and... Uh, uh, the, one of the judges said when there was a Christian girl from um, a, a Pentecostal church in Adelaide who, who did her item, he said, well, that was pretty good. Makes you want to go to church, really? This is what Kyle Sandilin said. And Marcia Hines said, Carl, you should go to church. And Marcia has said in a, a, a few moments like this in that show, that she's a Christian and comes from a Christian background and she honed her singing craft on singing gospel music. Here's the problem. I just 
I just want to point out, we're at a, in, a, in, in culture right now, because of these things, we are now in a very dangerous place as Christians. There's a danger in admiring Christ and Christianity. And you might be thinking, what are you, what are you mad? What are you talking about? A danger in admiring Christ and Christianity. Because the danger is that's all you do. Because Christianity is admirable. The, the uh, British historian Tom Holland wrote a book uh, called Dominion, How Christianity Has Shaped the West, where he points out in the conclusion that without the influence of Christ and Christianity, we would not have democracy, we would not have the rule of law, we would not have human rights, we would not have charities, we would not have all these things that Christ and Christianity can be thanked for. And for years, people were saying, well, oh, I wonder if he's a Christian. He would be asked and he would say, no, I'm not. And people would go, oh, surely you are. Like as if he doesn't know. This is a dangerous thing for us that when we get lulled into thinking that just because you're an admirer of Jesus and an admirer of Christianity, that you're actually a Christian. And the danger is all the more because I'm coming up the home stretch to my time here as pastor of this church, and I can see it coming over the horizon for us as a church. So I'm really, really concerned about it. I want us to appreciate that even in the Apostle Paul's day, he could see that people were pretending to become Christians, but they weren't. And so Paul says, and he considered his day to be the last days. And I would suggest it was the last days of the old covenant in Hebrews 8:13 if you read the last verse of Hebrews 8 it says the old covenant has been made obsolete and is about to be done away with it hadn't it wasn't done away with at the cross and we know that because they was they still had a temple they still had priests and they still had sacrifices but Paul the apostle says in these last days before it is finally done away with he prophesies there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. And you might go, well, that's today. Well, I think you're right. Heartless, unappeasable. We call those, actually, we might call those um, bottomless pits of something or other. Unappeasable. You can't do enough for them. It's never good enough. And Paul goes on and says they'll be slanderous. They'll be without self-control. They'll be brutal, not loving good. They'll be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Thump. Note this. He's not talking about people who are ungodly. He's talking about people who have an appearance of godliness. In other words, they look religious. On the outside. And that's why we make a distinction between being religious in that sense, but denying its power. Paul says, avoid such people. Now, the point I'm looking at going, well, we can take all scripture and ask this question, okay, Paul, that may have been true in your day, but how does it apply to our day? And the answer is, duh. It's like right now, it's, this is much of culture, but the danger is, that throughout Christian history, there have been people who have become priests or pastors or whatever who didn't even know Christ. 
They deny the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. They deny the power of the presence of Christ in their life or in anyone's life. And this is the danger. I don't want us to get lulled into this thing that just because someone comes along and says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I really admire Jesus, that that isn't necessarily what it means to be a Christian. So here's, it's, the, the danger is that only admiring Christ, only admiring Christ in Christianity is that you actually fail to become a Christian. And I've got here what that means, and that means to surrender to him. This is why the expression of the early Christians was ho Christos ho Kyrios, which is Greek for ho Christos, the Christ, ho Kyrios, the Lord. Christ is Lord. And if he's Lord, you've surrendered to him. Every Roman citizen knew what hoc Kaiser hoc Kyrios meant. Caesar is Lord. To say anything other invoked the death penalty. And it became the thing that separated people who are genuinely Christians because the moment you uttered those words, you're a candidate for death. You see, when you actually surrendered to Christ, it's a spiritual moment. The prophets of old said there was like a heart transplant that happened. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel verse 11, verse 19, and I will give them, this is speaking of what Christ would do in sending the Holy Spirit into the world to transform all those who would surrender to his lordship. And I will give them one heart and one spirit and I will put, that I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And verse 11 says, and they may, that they may walk in my statutes. As Aaron said this morning, the heart issue is whether you desire, want to obey the commands of God. And Kate mentioned this as well. And keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And that's kind of what I want to enlarge on in this presentation. Ezekiel 36 verse 26, right toward the end of Ezekiel, he repeats this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I, that I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, a soft heart. And I'm going to tell you the difference between simply moving from being an admirer of Christ and Christianity to becoming a Christian is a heart issue. And it requires one of the most difficult things any human being could ever do. It requires someone to have, excuse the language, a humble heart. You see, pride is the thing that God says will be the obstacle between me and you. God says, I hate pride. I hate the proud heart. I mean, can you imagine a people that would actually celebrate pride? Dear God, what do we come to in society? May we not be that people. But may we be a people that humbly seek our God and humbly invite him to have his way in our lives. So when the Holy Spirit transforms a person, their desires change. They have new desires. It doesn't happen overnight. It's like the background to my thing here. You just get over the first hill, just the first hill. And the first hill might be, pray that prayer. Pray that prayer that says, Jesus, have your way in my life. The next prayer might be, you become aware of the kind of person you were before that transformation began and you become acutely aware of it and you become so aware of it you begin to realize the bible calls that sin 
And you begin to pray, God, forgive me for what I've done. In fact, the, the more I've read the stories of people who've become Christians, the more I've seen the same pattern. They, they become a Christian, and then as they go on with Christ, they become incredibly aware of their sinfulness, their unworthiness. This is normal Christianity, or as C.S. Lewis called it, mere Christianity. Kate cited this, this passage in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, when someone comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, and what Jesus said to him is actually from the Old Testament. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. And I'm pointing that out because some people say, you know, this first part of our, our Bible, the, the, the Old Testament bit, that's just all irrelevant. It can't be that irrelevant when Jesus quotes it. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself, which, if I'm, my memory's correct, I think that's Leviticus 19, verse 18. He's quoting Leviticus. How many have read Leviticus and said, yeah, I've got to read that again? <laughs> Jesus is quoting it because he wrote it. He's the one who gave it to Moses. He didn't even have to read it. Because it was his word. And Jesus said, on these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. I can sum up the whole shebang, says Jesus. Love God with all your heart, mind, strength and soul. And love your neighbour as yourself. And something in the human heart says, oh, love your neighbour as yourself. That means I've got to love myself first. No, we already do. Now, now we've got to begin to serve someone. So, you know, we're, we're, we open our homes to people to come and join us for a meal when it might be inconvenient. It might be that you haven't got enough food. It might be. And yet you do it willingly because you're going to treat them as if you want, it, you want to be treated. These are the two great commandments. This is what it means to be a Christian. And you might think that, that God was defining sin, things that he hates, by anything we enjoy. You can imagine God being up there with a, with a thing and a pen going, Oh, they just laughed and enjoyed that. Gabriel, make a note, make that a sin. Like, that's not how it works. In fact, can I suggest to you, it's exactly the opposite. God has given us good things to enjoy. And when those things are abused, they become sin. Now, let me say something that might shock you and it may even be controversial. Sex is a good thing. Gee, I was expecting a whole bunch of people to say amen, brother, to that one, but I only got one voice. But when it is abused, it is an abhorrently evil thing. There are some of you here, you already know this. Food is a good thing. <laughs> okay, I've balanced out the room now. But when it's abused, it's not a good thing. So this is what Jesus is saying. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. That's it. Love God, love others. He reduced the entire Old Testament down to two statements. Love God with everything and love others as you already love yourself. There it is. It's all about love. And to truly love someone means that you come to know them. You cannot possibly reasonably claim to love someone if you don't even know them. Kim made me watch a movie on... Friday night, which is our date day. <laughs> and 
I like watching... I got to watch my movie last night, though, Jason Bourne. But I had to watch The Proposal with Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. But there is a scene in this movie, if you know the story, where these two people that really actually don't like each other, but they are forced to spend time together. And, and, she's, and he makes the claim that he knows just about everything about her, which is a very... Girls, isn't it? This is a very typical arrogant bloke approach to girls, right? And she says, no, you don't. He says, no, I do. And so she, she says, like what do you know? And he does say, he shares something that you know, was quite remarkable that he noticed. It was remarkable. Blokes, girls, blokes generally don't notice anything. It's just saying. So whenever a girl comes to a guy and says, so what do you think? Guys, the answer is? That's brilliant. That's great. It's gorgeous. <laughs> then go and figure out what the heck she's talking about. All right. So here's Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock in this thing. And, and it turns out, he, has, he knows that she has got a tattoo. He doesn't know where it is. And then he discovers it's on, just on, on her back up, up near her neck. And it's two swallows, two birds. And she says, do you know why I've got that tattoo? Because it's a reminder that when I was 16 years of age, my mum and dad were tragically killed. You wonder why I'm a hard woman? You wonder why I won't let people get close to me? is because the two people who were closest to me in my whole life were taken from me and I never want to get close to another person again. That, for me, was the turning point in the movie because he now actually began to really know what she was like. She saw him in a different light too, if you know the story. And because they came to know each other, you're not going to believe this. I haven't got there yet. They ended up falling in love and getting... Anyway, I'm not going to give away the end of the story. because. But the point is you can't really love someone unless you know them. That's the point. And to truly love someone means that you have to come to know that they love you. You are less likely, statistically, to love someone who hates your guts. Just statistically. It's just, it's just the way. So here's the thing. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, strength and soul. John the Apostle, the one who was closest to Jesus more than any of the other 12, the one who heard secrets that Jesus told him that he didn't tell the other disciples. This John discovered this and he writes it in his epistle to the Ephesian church when he says, we love God because he first loved God. Ask. Loving God is a journey, much like my mountains that just you go over one and you go, oh my goodness, there's another one. And it's kind of like that in relationships. And one of the reasons I want to look at this over the next few weeks and have others share about this as well is for two really, really big reasons. I don't want this church, I don't want us as a church to be a church where we are cold-hearted, where we are just going through the motions on a Sunday. You wonder why Lynn opened up the floor for you to pray, for you to share the gifts of the Spirit. It's because we want to be that kind of weird, scary church where we don't know what's going to happen next because God might do something. Won't that be frightening? And all the Dutch people said, oh, I don't know. know. Where's he going with this? 
I'm saying, let's open our heart to God and just see what the Holy Spirit might do one Sunday as we meet. You just never know what might happen. And that is scary. That's what I mean. Let's, let's be a scary, weird church. If you're going to tweet that, you better get that in context. So loving God is a, John said, it, it's, it's a journey of intimacy. It's coming to know him. It's coming close to him. John goes on after that verse and he says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother or sister in Christ, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So here's the other thing that I want us as a church to be. I do want us to be so prepared to come close to God that we're prepared to come into the scary zone. We're prepared to come into the weird zone where we hear his voice, where we're open to the things of the Spirit, where people who've never experienced the power and presence of the Holy Spirit are baptised in his Holy Spirit. And if you excuse the language, you might even pray in tongues. You might even have a word of prophecy. You might begin to have dreams. Because the Bible says, and I think we've got good reason to think that it could happen here, old men shall dream dreams. I, have, I was getting to the young men bit. I'll just talk over here for a moment. because, And young men will have visions. And I'll pour out my spirit on your servants and on your maid servants. That means I will pour out my spirit on your men, young and old, and on women, young and old. I'm getting scared just judging by your response. But here's the thing also, to be this kind of church that comes close to God, it means that we open our heart to people. It means that we're prepared to come close to people and be somewhat transparent appropriately with other people. And that is scary. Just like Sandra Bullock's two swallows tattooed on the back of her neck. People have badges of fear. I can't let a person get close to me. I did that once and they hurt me. Never going to do that again. And I'm saying to you, repent. Seek God for forgiveness for that foolish vow. John chapter 4, verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I have this, in one of my Bibles, I, I, have a, I had this thing where I would go through the Bible and colour everything that was a command in green. That's what I call a green verse. It's not a, I didn't have any colour for suggestions. I only had, like, I had red for promises and blue for unfulfilled prophecy and yellow for fulfilled prophecy and green for commands. That's a green verse. It's not a, oh, look, I'll offer you this suggestion for living the Christian life. No, it's a command. Intimacy, it necessarily involves knowing coming closer to, trusting, making yourself vulnerable, caring for another. Every parent goes through this with their children. One of the cruelest questions any parent with multiple children can be asked is, which child is your favourite, especially when it comes from one of your children? My answer is you, dear, to each one of them. But there is a sense in which for us to come close to God, it's not just about us knowing him, it's about us opening the curtains of our heart, becoming transparent. And I'm saying this, having I hope what you've just heard me say, is if we're really going to love God, we're going to learn to truly love each other. And this is 
really scary. And some of you are going, oh, when's he going to finish? Like, this is getting uncomfortable now. And I say to that, good. Because for us to be the kind of church that Jesus wants to move by his spirit through to our community means that people have got to come in here and, as I said, not just feel like a visitor, a one-and-done deal, but as a new family member. They're made to feel a part of the family. This translates into our most valued relationships. And now I mean the closest possible relationship the two people can have together. That is marriage. There are some men here who need to understand that intimacy means talking and listening and sharing. For me, it's highlighted in this statement by Christ in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It's an astounding thing, and it highlights the same thing that Paul was talking about. There are some people who have a form of godliness. They look very religious. Some of them, some of them even wear bishop's robes. C.S. Lewis in the book The Great Divorce, a story of a bus trip to the outer, from, from out of hell to the outer skirts of uh, the, the, the outer suburbs of heaven, basically, the pre-heaven bit. On this bus, the bus collects people out of hell to go and be given the opportunity, in C.S. Lewis's story, to forsake that and to accept God's offer to come into his presence. One of them was a bishop. And the bishop felt he couldn't because he was too busy. And it's a tragic thing. And here we have Jesus saying this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. God in heaven it's connected. One, on that day, Jesus says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? That's pretty religious. That even looks really spiritual. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, you could be as religious as the next guy. You could, be, you could be in church, you could be in prayer meetings, you could be doing the whole thing, you could be looking very, very religious, but denying the very power that transforms a human soul into becoming a son or daughter of God. And on that day, here's the scary thing. I said, there's, there's not a lot about heaven that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. But I tell you, there's a lot that comes out about hell that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. And Jesus had some really strong things to say. And he's saying one of them now. Don't play religious games. And so here I come back to the danger that we face as a church. That we begin to hear celebrities say, I really admire Jesus. He's my hero. I really respect Christians. They, they deserve da-da-da-da in society and respect and all the rest of it. And we might think, oh good, they're now a Christian. And it doesn't necessarily follow. But the biggest danger for me is that there are people in this church who are part of our church, who grew up in this church, and the money hasn't yet dropped into the parking meter of your soul. And you don't get it. You just think Christianity is about going to church. You may even be living with mum and dad, and, and I hope this doesn't happen, but you hear mum and dad fight all the time, and carry on, and you think, well, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want a thing to do with it. So I'm telling you, men, set the tone of your home. Set the tone of your family life. 
so that your children don't ever think, I don't want to be a Christian if that's what Christianity is about. Do the opposite. Love your wife. How many men bought flowers for their wife on Valentine's Day? Okay, I'll put my hand up then. We're not talking about last year, Kimmy. We're talking about this year. Because I knew I had a sermon illustration coming up, all right? The Apostle Paul, in a similar way, I, I, I said this to you before, I'm just going to remind you again. Here he is under Praetorian Guard. Shortly after this, he would write 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Then he would appear before Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero would pronounce judgment upon him that he should be beheaded. So he knows his time's near. And he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, note that word, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's what he says. Here is his thing, and it was this prayer that jolted my teenage brain when I began to realize that Paul, who saw the physical appearing of Christ on the road to Damascus, who had dreams and visions of Christ, who at one point says he was caught up into the third, the very presence of God, and here he is, years later, in the final months of his life, and he says, this is what I want to do with my life from this point on. I want to know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. What was Christ like in his death? He was resurrected and then he ascended and then he was glorified into an immortal, imperishable body that bore the glory of God. And Paul says, I want to be like that because the closer I get to him, the more I want to know him. And I hope this is your prayer too, that you might know him. One of the things that shaped my young teenage life was when Kim and I were youth pastors in, in Werribee in Melbourne and we, we had a, a book that we used for the young people to introduce them to Christianity called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And R.C. Sproul said this, intimacy, we all crave it to be close to another person. We all crave it. In fact, we're all created for it. We are created for this intimacy. And then, here's what he said. Ultimately, we crave for that intimacy with God. We're created for that intimacy with God. But it is what we are most afraid of. We're afraid of it. I said to you before, this is scary. It is scary. So this is what I want you to know. I don't care if you respect God and admire Christianity. I don't care if you admire and respect Jesus. Good for you. That's not the same as being a Christian. God does not merely want your YouTube thumbs up. I do. He doesn't care. He doesn't merely want you to like his Facebook posts. He hasn't got any. Because he just doesn't care about that. And coming up to an election, he doesn't care about your vote at all. He is not interested in any of those things. There are some here in this room that do. This is what God really wants. 
God wants you to know him intimately. And this is what you need to know to know him intimately. That God's offer about salvation, being forgiven of your sin, is not merely about going to heaven when you die. Your salvation is not for heaven's sake. Your salvation of having your sins forgiven is about knowing Christ. And here's the thing that I want us to know. Heaven is the manifested presence of God's glory. Hear what I'm saying? Heaven is not God. Heaven is wherever the manifest presence of God is. And we've seen through January when we watch these uh, videos and documentaries about near-death experiences, those who have died and experienced the outskirts of heaven have described it as incredibly beautiful, with incredible music, with incredible colours that aren't even on the spectrum of our light scope. And those things are just a shadow of the glory of God. But God is the very source of beauty, of love, peace and radiant joy. Therefore, your salvation is not for heaven's sake. It's for God's glory for your sake and my sake. I want you to make Christ the Coram Deo, Latin for the centre of your life. Make God the centre of your life, Coram Deo. There's a song that says we're returning to repentance. I've challenged some of you to do that today, to repent, to ask God for forgiveness and to seek his forgiveness. The song says, we come humbly to your presence, Lord Jesus. All that matters now is you, Coram Deo. God is the center of our life. He orders our priorities. We lay down our agendas, all our burdens and offenses. We lay them down to you. And it's my hope that you choose today to begin a journey of knowing Christ. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For today's program, select Knowing Jesus Part 4 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, there is a danger in admiring the person of Jesus Christ because it may mean that you never get to the place of surrendering to him. What is a Christian? One who has surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. More of Finding Truth Matters next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.